Good evening, David. How are you? Great. Good evening, Jason. How you doing? I'm doing so well. It's good to have you on. We've been we, David and I were just catching up before we started recording. And we were talking about how we've been talking about this for quite a while, and we're finally making it happen. So I'm very excited about that, David. So thank you for being on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Long time coming. Um, great to see how you're progressing in this uh, next stage of your life. So I'm very happy to be helping you out and doing this. And I'm grateful for your, I don't know if it's help. Yeah, maybe it's help. You're helping <laughs> me out. All right. Thank you very much. But with you're that, David, yeah, I'm helping you. Too. We're helping each other. So, David, love if we just kick off with a little little bit of intro, you know, just a little bit about you, where you are in the world today, and anything else you'd like to share with the audience to kick us off. Yeah. uh, Well, today I uh, actually run a sales organization for a publicly traded company called Cloudflare, uh, which is a uh, SaaS company that's in network computing. Um, Pretty hot now, I guess, from a cloud uh, computing standpoint. Uh, Yeah. Especially during COVID, right? So, uh, so it's been it's been an interesting year. We went public about a year ago um, when I joined, and uh, it's been an incredible ride. Great, great company, tremendous potential. So, I'm happy to be here, help them build out um, our go to market strategy, and kind of building on what I've done throughout most of my career, which is leading and growing teams, uh, working on go to market strategy. Um, you know, and, and still kind of having conversations with, with folks about, you know, best practices and, and leading and developing organizations and teams. Yeah, that's awesome. I know we're going to get a lot more into this, so I'm not even going to ask you anything else. Where, uh, where in the world are you today? So I'm still in New York Metro living in New Jersey. Um, you know, I spent a a number of years living in, uh, in New York city, actually pre COVID I left New York city. The timing was impeccable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it was kind of time to, to leave and, and do some other things. And I was, I was really glad to be there. I, I kind of, uh, I, I would like to say that I raised my kids in their formal years there. Um, yeah. you know, being a native New Yorker, I was kind of happy to do that. So, so the next journey was kind of, uh, you know, leaving the city, not, not, not moving too far away. You don't want to be yeah. too far away from Manhattan when you're, when it's in your blood. So yeah, um, still living in New York Metro. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And you were, if I'm not mistaken, you were, you were born in Brooklyn. Is that right? Are you from Brooklyn originally? Yes. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn. Uh, I, I was born in Brooklyn uh, a little over 50 years ago. Uh, you know, Barbara Streisand, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, all the greats. I've Brooklyn. heard of these people. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I put you in the same category as those two for yes. sure. That, that's what I, <laughs> Spike Lee. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly why I said it because because I'm in that category. Um, no, I, I think it's it's an amazing place. Uh, you know, if you grow up there, uh, the diversity, the the nature of kind of how many different people and cultures you you live amongst is pretty incredible. Um, you know, I was kind of a product of public high school and, and city university, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of proud of that because it's. Uh, you know, it's a great experience, and I think sometimes it's underestimated, especially in a city like New York. But um, you know, it, it it was just a great experience to grow up there. I, I did the typical kind of kid in the boroughs experience, which is, you know, you always look longingly to Manhattan, and that's kind of the shining beacon on the hill if you're from the yeah. boroughs. And uh, yeah. you know, as soon as I was ready, like graduated college, you know, went out and worked on Wall Street because I grew up in the 80s. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was like Wall Street was where everybody wanted to be if you wanted to kind of work and sell and make money. And uh, 
that was what I did. I moved into the city, kind of got my license and, and became a broker in my, you know, right out of college. So yeah. pretty incredible experience during those days. I like how you outed yourself as part of the bridge and tunnel crowd right at the top of the episode here. Well, I'm not embarrassed by it. Um, well, no. I guess it made me who I was. I'm part of that crowd too, <laughs> <laughs> right? But I lived I lived in Manhattan long enough. I, I always talk about living in Manhattan in like three phases of my life. I was a single guy living yeah. in the city. Um, when I first got married, my wife and I moved to Manhattan, lived there for several years. My my oldest daughter was actually born there. And then, like I said earlier, um, when my kids were young, uh, you know, early, like preteen, like teen and preteen, we actually moved back to the city. Um, they were musicians, so it was perfect. They, they kind mm-hmm. of had the best of both worlds. So they were able to kind of be in the thick of it and, and really kind of hone their craft, you know, where I think is one of the be- best places to do it if you're an artist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Let's... Uh... I want to move on only because I'm going to ask you about a lot of this stuff later. So I don't want, I don't want to give you away, give away the whole David Roth uh, portfolio before you even get started. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you about this stuff later. No problem. Yeah. Plenty of time. So I want to ask you something, David, sure. to kick us off today. What's something that you nerd out about? Oh, what do I nerd out about? I nerd out about, I would say, politics and economics. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit weird, weird and obsessive. Um, like my first hour of my day, I, I consume myself with like all kinds of financial markets information from the U.S. and overseas, um, political uh, magazines, articles, blogs, um, I think it comes from like when I was younger and I was kind of training in whatever business I was at the time, in my early twenties, I always felt like I had to have a tremendous amount of knowledge about like what was going on at that given moment. Mm-hmm. So I can talk intelligently to whoever I was talking to, you know, you walk into a, for example, into a meeting with Pfizer as an example, and you want to be able to understand, you know, what the news of the day of the week is, you know, if they made an acquisition, if they released a product, so there's a part of me that's always been really kind of just um, obsessed about it, like news. I'm a newsie. Um, yeah. And I like to get my sources from everywhere, you know, whether it's, you know, BBC, Financial Times, New York Post, Washington uh, Post, New York Times, you know, it, it, whatever it is, just trying to get different perspectives, too. Yeah. Uh, um, so I'm a little bit obsessive about that. Yeah, I guess it, it's still still something I do today. Yeah, I, I'm I'm thinking about that. And I... <laughs> I'm like, are there any two topics that are more stressful for people this year than, well, I guess maybe health, but ec- economics and politics, like those are two things that people have been pretty focused on for this year. And there's been a lot of news about both of those, obviously. So I'm, I'm like, I'm a news person too, but I generally only read, I'll read usually like CNN and then I'll read Flipboard. I don't know if you use Flipboard. Like yeah, a, I've a, used it in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll read Flipboard and I have my categories I like, but for me, like, I just like to see what's up, but then I like to move on to my day, and I don't <laughs> want to spend, like, an hour on it. Um, do you, so it sounds like it's it's something that you actually just enjoy now, because I don't think you actually need it for your your day-to-day. You don't need this information anymore because you're selling soft, you're selling cloud-based software, but you just, like, you just like it for your own edification and to feel educated about the world. Yeah, I think that's probably where it's progressed to, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I, I like, I'm interested in politics. Um, I like to understand like the dynamics of politics and how it plays into the economy and, um, and business in general. I I think Mm -hmm. that 
um, when you think about how connected the world is right now um, in regards to, you know, industry and, and technology, there's a lot of, you know, you pull on one thing and something else kind of gets tugged at. So there's a lot of that, the dynamic of, uh, you know, politics playing into that, that, that really is under the surface. And, and I also find it fascinating when you think about it or you hear other people's opinions, kind of different perspectives on it and the spin, good or bad, um, that people have, depending on what news outlet or what information source you're going to. So, yeah. so I am a believer that, you know, have an open mind and have uh, an ability to kind of consume from different angles and perspectives. It'll give you the most uh, educated approach to, to a conversation, a topic or, or a situation. Yeah. I, the election cycle. So after the, I guess the elect, I forget what date it was, November 3rd, Tuesday, November 3rd, like that week between when, you know, the elect, like the, the election day and then kind of the, the five days afterwards, my neuroses was so high that I was sitting on the CNN website and refreshing it, even though, (laughs) even though that it refreshes itself, like they had like, it's like, and it would be something like, um, this state is going to report results Friday at noon and it'd be like Wednesday at three. I'm like. Well, maybe they don't know what they're talking about. Let me just see if there's any information anyway. It was, it was not healthy at all. Not healthy right. at all. Right. Is, is there anything new? And part like, of it, I think, is, you know, let, let me just see, is there any new information that's going to change in the last three seconds? Uh, exactly. Three I, seconds. Because suddenly all these all these um, counties are going to suddenly all at once have all these votes they're going to tabulate and be like, we said Friday at noon, but we're the government, so we're actually going to exceed your expectations and bring them in two days early. Like, No. <laughs> But it did get to a point where, like, days later, it was like the news was the same. And I'm like, I can't watch it this. Was. It's it exactly was. the same. There's no – it's almost like what happens is you want to kind of turn it off for two days and see what's new and exciting two days later. Because yeah. by then, all of these events will happen, and then you'll get the summary and the recap. So uh, that yeah. cycle was absolutely right. It was stressful. Um, but I think it's ama- – maybe part of my obsession is also – you know, the social element, the social experiment aspect of it is like mm-hmm. just the way people react to it and, you know, the, the opinions and, and, you know, the, the conversation, the debate, it's, it's amazing just to observe people in that, in that situation. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Um, we could, I bet you we could spend the next hour talking about this, but I am pretty sure people would go, I don't want to listen to the T's two random dudes talking about politics and economics. <laughs> Especially Maybe they the guys would, but, who aren't in politics, right? Who aren't in politics and aren't economists, or I mean, <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to move on to another question for you, and I want to talk about something or ask you, David, about something that is that is inside your comfort zone, that is likely outside of somebody else's comfort zone, and I'm going to take away the option of sales hmm. from you because that's just too easy. So well, what, what's something else that's inside your comfort zone? You know, it's probably, it's funny, it probably goes back to the first question, which is, you know, debate and dialogue that's really intense. Um, Mm -hmm. I enjoy it. I enjoy the engagement of having like a deep philosophical conversation, political, you know, things, things that are for some people stressful. You know, my wife would definitely say that it stresses her out. I was going to ask you if this is, if this is something (laughs) your wife agrees with. She's probably like, no. No, no, no. And I don't think it's it's not about different opinions and like arguing over different opinions. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's about really just sitting down and like, you know, trying to understand someone else's perspective, um, the thought process that goes into it. And sometimes it gets into heated debate, but, uh, you know, I'm also a believer that, you know, you can respect others' opinions, but not really believe in them and not have the yeah. same views. Um, I think that's one of the challenges today is we're living in a world where we can't really have kind of a calm discourse and um, the tolerance for that just isn't the same that it used to be. I mean, you used to be able to debate things and, you know, argue over things. And then, you know, you just go and, you know, have a handshake or a beer and you're, you're done. And yeah. I think what's happened is we've lost the ability to do that, to have like a, a debate and a dialogue where you have differing opinions, but it doesn't really, you know, get it, you know, get in between the ability to have a relationship. Yeah. Don't, and not, not to get, partisan here because I'm actually not going to get partisan here because I don't like to talk politics on here in detail. But don't you think that both – and we're talking – we're both obviously Americans, so we'll talk American politics. Don't you think that both the Republicans and the Democrats actually design it that way now? Design it to be design it to be so dividing? Like it's it's actually good for politics to be that way? I know that like a lot of politicians, oh, I'm in the middle, I'm moderate. But at the end of the day, it seems like both sides are always trying to like divide and put things well, out there that just makes it really hard to, to like see both sides of it. Well, I, I think it's even more complicated than that in the sense that, um, you know, this has been going on for decades. This is not something new in the last, you know, five, 10 years. Um, I think the challenge is that we live in a world now that is um, we process information in little bits and bytes. Yeah. So sometimes what, what's happening is what you're seeing is the information is presented to us in bits and bytes and what we can consume now, it's very hard to get deep and intellectual on something that's a 15-minute soundbite or a 30-character tweet, whatever it may be, 300-character tweet. Um, and I think that's what people are playing to, whether it's the politics or whether it's you know advertisers or companies selling your products, trying to kind of get you interested in something or highly opinionated about something in a very short bit of information because either it's attention span or it's the way we consume information now. It's just totally different than, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And yeah. there's also so many different sources coming at you. So getting your attention is, is a lot harder as well. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Um, and so I want to take this question and turn it on its head and ask you about something that is absolutely outside of your comfort zone. That is inside of somebody else's um i'd probably say quiet and um mm. you know the ability to just sit and and just take it all in and, and be content um with that i mean i you know certainly mm -hmm. over the years i've tried meditation and different methods of trying to kind of have perspective and stop and smell the roses or whatever um, whatever phrase you use for it. Um, but that's a journey. That's, that's a life mm -hmm. journey to kind of figure out, you know, I think what it is, is what, what, what has motivated me for years and what has driven me as a business person and in life and trying to achieve things. Um, that same drive is what makes it difficult to kind of sit and be quiet and just kind of take things in, absorb them and appreciate them. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's, you know, for some people, I, I, maybe I'm, I'm assuming for some it's easy. Maybe it, it is a life work and journey. Um, but I do find for myself that that's outside of my comfort zone um, yeah. to be able to just sit and do that.
Yeah. Uh, speaking of meditation, it's something I've started. I started meditation right, a couple of years ago and I found it to be extremely difficult. I think you and I are probably similar. Like our brains are moving a million miles a minute. We're both pretty driven, but I've actually found it's like playing a sport. I've actually found that through practicing it, it's become much easier for me. Have you found, have you found that for you when you tried practicing meditation? You know, it, it, there was a period of time where, where it worked. Uh, it's kind of funny. I did, I did some of it before I would sleep because I'd go to sleep at night because I felt it would help me actually clear my mind and sleep better. Um, but I think that was a bit of a challenge because the idea was, well, well am I using it for sleep or am I using it to clear my mind of random yeah. thoughts? And then yeah. the, I was always fearful of doing it in the mornings because it would make me, it would it demotivate me and make me tired versus, mm -hmm. you know, give me a renewed sense of energy. So I've tried different methods and I, I think I'll continue to. There's mm -hmm. periods of time where I've used it, you know, when I've had, you know, periods in my life where I just said, you know what, I, I really need to figure out how to meditate to calm my mind. Yeah. So it's been helpful at, at times in my life, but I don't use it as a daily practice. I, I probably mm -hmm. should. Um, and, I, and I think at some point I'll continue to use it in certain parts of my life in certain times. But yeah, I mean, the goal is to eventually try to have it as part of my daily routine, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's probably much easier for you to go hit the gym and go hit, hit the treadmill yes. or elliptical or whatever that yeah. thing might be that you're doing. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, I can tell you that, that, that is, I'm very passionate about physical fitness as it relates to mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I've, I've I do read a lot about, or at least I try to research about mental strength too. Like you think about Navy SEALs and what they're able to do, or you think about people who have overcome very difficult circumstances. So there's an aspect of the physical related to the mental and emotional, mm -hmm. um, which I believe is very strongly connected. Like I do believe when, when I know that I'm in a good groove working out and I'm eating healthy and I'm motivated, um, I definitely feel better mentally. I mean, there's definitely yeah. chemical um, releases of endorphins and things like that that have been, you know, studied for years. So I'm a big believer in that for sure. And it's much easier yeah. for me to, to go to the gym than it is to kind of sit and meditate for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, me too. Um, for sure. It's like a practice. It's always a practice of both mm -hmm. for, um, so next question I have for you, David is, I know you do a lot of speaking. I don't, you're not a, I wouldn't, I don't think you're a professional speaker per se, but you speak for a living and you're presenting and presenting the teams and such. So I know you give a lot of speeches and you do a lot of speeches for customers and such. So what if I was to give you, if I had the magic wand and I could create five minutes for you to give a speech to the entire world, what is it you'd want to give your speech on and why, why would you pick that topic? So I do, I do do a lot of speaking and I get up in front of, you know, audiences, a couple hundred people at times. And, and I do like that and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, but what may surprise you is my speech would have nothing to do with business. I'm not surprised um, by that at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's probably out of, out of a comfort zone too, but um, yeah. it probably, it probably would be about empathy and kindness. Um, and the reason being, I'll tell you a little story about it is, um, yeah. Not many people know, but I'm the son of a Holocaust survivor. Um, and there's an interesting dynamic about being raised by someone who's been through that experience in their life. Um, matter of fact, you know, even at my age, you, you don't meet a lot of people that are children of. Um, and yeah. that, 
that dynamic. It's a smaller group, and clearly, you know, my father actually passed away uh, about two years ago. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he was 90 at the time. Um, but I think having kind of seen the type of person he was and then kind of understanding kind of, you know, some, some of the things in the world that go on, you know, I've, I've grown over the years to kind of want to encourage more empathy, more kindness, more understanding as a mechanism for people really to kind of, you know, break down barriers and and be able to kind of be in a place where that kind of hatred, those kind of things in the world, you know, should never happen again, of course. Uh, yeah. You know, I volunteered for an organization um, over the course of time called Aegis Trust, which is based out of the UK. And what they do is they actually educate people on, um, they're really focused on the prevention of genocide. Uh, mm. And they were very actively involved in the Rwanda Genocide um, Foundation and Memorial Museum many years ago. And part of the project was to educate children as well as teachers to be able to teach empathy and kindness. Because the belief is that if you teach people this at a very young age, it's very difficult if you have empathy, kindness, and a relationship with another person to really have that level of hate and vitriol and, um, you know, animosity to get to a point where, you know, as an example, what my father went to or, or the Rwandans went through many years ago. So, so that's probably what I would give a speech on. I guess the idea too being like this concept of, you know, leaving the world a little bit better um, than I yeah. came into it, you know, trying to add a little bit of something that is better today than it was yesterday. I'm actually really pleased to hear that that's your speech and not a speech on SaaS business models. <laughs> not that that's I not that important. Right. That's not that my, that's, that's not my, important. Right. Just not sure that's the game changer. As opposed, you know, we can read about that. We can't, we're, yeah. Like, I, I know Gary Vaynerchuk's been big on the like the empathy and kindness thing recently as well. I, I don't look at a lot of his stuff, but I know he's been, that's been the thing he's been pitching a lot too. Is It's kind of the new, it's not a new thing, but it's the the idea in um, a lot of management philosophy now, like the new, kind of the new leadership philosophy, especially is, and I don't know if you manage millennials or you have like a, you probably have some people that are younger on your team, the the whole manage and control from like command and control just doesn't really work anymore. And it's actually like meeting people where they're at the empathy and like really getting to know your teammates and getting to know the people that work for you and showing them empathy, even when the performance isn't there and hey, sometimes you even have to let them go or whatever, but like doing that with empathy and kindness actually makes a huge difference. Cause that even, in, you know, I'm a little bit younger than you, but even in early in my career and I can Im- imagine from what I've seen in movies, wall street was like, there's like, it didn't feel like there's a lot of empathy going on there in the eighties. It's like, this is what you come here to do. Yeah. It's what you come here to do. And if you don't do it, you're done. Well, and I can tell you, I mean, I've, I've lived through many of that. I mean, when I started on wall street, it really was like that. I mean, it was, um, you know, there, there was an environment there that was just, uh, very high pressure. Um, to your point, uh, it was probably, you know, not suitable for work, uh, things going on. And that was the environment. It was a very toxic environment in some ways. And candidly, I think one of the reasons I I wasn't so comfortable working in that industry for a long time was 
you know, I just couldn't see myself doing that for 10, 15, 20 years and being in that yeah. kind of psychological mode. And, but I have also been through, you know, in, in my sales career, similar environments where there are very high performance driven sales cultures that are very numbers driven and performance driven. And that's really the measurement. Mm-hmm. Um, and to your point, I mean, even, you know, Cloudflare as an example is one of the more diverse, amazing dynamic companies I've ever worked for. Um, and in Silicon Valley, you know, the, the, a lot of times companies will practice it, but really not kind of walk the walk. I mean, they'll yeah. preach it, but they won't walk the walk. Um, but we do a really good job of that. And, and yeah, there's no doubt that even as a leader, you know, I went through a period where I think even now I, I look at it as what they call servant leadership. Yeah. Um, what can I do for my people? And, you know, let me understand them as a human being and what drives them emotionally yeah. and financially, et cetera. And yeah, I, I have younger people that work for me today and, and it is a different environment and different culture than it was 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, it's good to see you adapting to that and and being at a company that values that because I, I think at the end of the day, especially as a publicly traded company, yes, you're beholden to the shareholders and to the results. And I see that as instead of what and my impression early in my career was, and I, and I was fortunate early in my career to work at it. The first company I worked for is actually really good at that. The second one was not so much, but like you can actually have both. And it's actually a benefit to run a sales organization that's diversified and meeting people where they're at. And because the performance almost naturally comes along when people are are naturally motivated. And I, I think something that you said that, you know, as a coach, I, 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 I coach some salespeople and it's amazing to me. And this is the context that I always had in my career is that all salespeople are purely motivated by money, but that's not necessarily true. Yeah, you go into sales because you like to make money and I think you like to win and control your own destiny. But there's a lot of other stuff that people like that isn't just that commission check at the end of the quarter. And uh, I think for a lot of it is having, for me personally, like having a, a great boss who stands for you and wants to and wants to grow you and support you and you as a human being, it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. As a salesperson, yeah, I mean, I've, I went through a period in my career early where it was, you know, it was all about me and the warrior mentality and it was self um, and performance and money. And, you know, that's what happens when you're in a highly competitive performance and sales environment. And, yeah. you know, you, you know, it's, you want to win. Right. And, yeah. you know, you, we see this in sports too. I mean, um, but, but I think that's what happens. Sometimes people draw that analogy in business and sports, but the fact is that studies have continuously shown that, you know, if you have a more diverse environment, more empathetic environment, um, and you have the right culture, your organization as a whole will perform better. And I think what happens is you're able to retain talent, you're able to hire talent, you can nurture your folks, um, you know, and and that in itself creates a better culture. Uh, And it also will in turn wind up being an organization that performs better because, yeah. you know, the, you think about the cost related to managing someone out versus managing an individual um, from a performance standpoint, you know, the, we yeah. always talk instead about, you know, performance improvement plan. Well, in some organizations, all that means is you're managing someone out, but the reality yeah. is the, some of my greatest successes as a manager was taking someone who was on a performance plan and turning them into someone that was very successful, that mm-hmm. corrected, that was coachable, and went on to have a fruitful career. That's yeah, way that's more awesome. satisfying than a high-performance culture that churns people in and out. That's just my view. Yeah, that's cool. It's really cool. Uh, so, David, I'm going to take a quick pause to go to a brief commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about you. 
and we'll be right back. The Talking to Cool People podcast is brought to you by Jason Frizzell Coaching. Jason works with amazing people who are looking to find and develop their passion and purpose and create their journey to wherever it is they want to go. Check us out at jasonfrizzell.com, Facebook, or on Instagram. Jason loves hearing from anyone who thinks it would be cool to connect, to be coached, or to be a guest on our show. Email him at podcast at jasonfrizzell.com or DM him on Facebook and Instagram. And now, back to some more amazing conversation on talking to cool people. Great. All right, David, we are back. So I want to recap for my understanding and for the audience a little bit about you, what you've shared with us so far. And then I want to give you the opportunity to kind of share what's led you to end of 2020. So born in Brooklyn, you had the, uh, you know, uh, city kid, you did the Wall Street thing for a while. And we know that you work at a company called Cloudflare now. How about the rest of your journey? Like, And obviously, share whatever you want here. What do you think would be interesting for the audience to hear? And, and what would be the... What I'm always looking for is like, what are the lessons that the people listening can take away from David on this today and about your journey? And what would you like to impart to the audience? Yeah, um, thank you. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the journey, I mean, it's, uh, I guess I'm, uh, I look back now and I say, you know, I started out um, pretty much, I was always a salesperson at heart or wanted to be in business. You know, I came from a a middle-class family where my father owned a business And, um, you know, I spent a lot of time there, um, watching mm-hmm. and learning. Um, and I think there was something about it, you know, being independent in many ways and trying, you know, the relationships and the interactions between customers. So, you know, I think wall street was a piece of, you know, just a lot of interest in, you know, at the time I had interest in technology and I had interest in, uh, economics and, you know, I graduated with a minor in economics and a major in communication. So, that's kind of the perfect sales guys, uh, you know, degree, I think. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> you understand the dollars and cents and you understand that you have to interact with people in some way, <laughs> written, written right. and speaking. And, <laughs> yeah, you have to get up in front of people and talk uh, and not bore them to death. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I guess that's in the DNA to some degree. So, yeah. Um, so Wall Street was a great experience. You know, one of the most amazing things about Wall Street experience for me was it gave me this education um, in regards to investing that to this day I use and to this day that I, you know, my wife and my children, we talk about things. I mean, I've always been very um, much the type of person with my kids, especially, you know, make sure they're aware and financially literate. So I think that that was a great way to kind of start my career and really getting foundational understanding there. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, if you ever worked on Wall Street and you were kind of the typical cold caller as I started out, you know, that's the best way to start out being a salesperson. You know, you are literally making hundreds of calls and getting hung up on every day, you know, constantly. Uh, You learn, you know, you have a thick skin, you learn resilience and and, uh, I think it helps you. Uh, be able to kind of have some self-confidence and be able to be successful. So um, for me, that was like a training ground. Uh, Yeah. So I was always interested in tech too. I mean, I did, you know, a little bit of geeky programming, you know, kind of the computer stuff because I, you know, grew up kind of in the the heart of the 80s where like you basically, you know, you had the computer and you did, you made your little stick figures and programming and, you know, got to the more advanced stuff. uh, And uh, it always interested me. And for a period of time, I actually worked in the industry in my late teens, like building computers and um, 
and selling them. And, uh, and that gave me kind of the love of technology. You and so Mark Cuban. Wall Street, you know, the logic. That's, Mar- that's what Mark Cuban did when he was, lo- when he was young. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it starts where that's probably what, you know, you're tinkering and you're building, right. And it kind of gives you that love of it. I, I, I certainly, my, my kids probably don't love the fact that I love that, that I know enough about technology to be dangerous, <laughs> you know, I'm not the, <laughs> So, uh, but that's always been kind of cool too, like, uh, to be able to talk to them about it. Um, yeah. And, um, so I got into tech, I mean, and, and for me, you know, I combined sales and tech cause back then when I was, you know, out of college in the nineties, it was, you were basically the, where you made money was either wall street or technology. That was the booming mm. industries. So I kind of combined the two. I, a matter of fact, one of my first jobs was as a global account manager at Nortel networks, which doesn't exist yeah. today. Nope. Canadian company. Yeah. Um, and I spent a lot of time just at that company and others in global accounts. And that probably was one of the most satisfying things I've done in my career because, mm-hmm. you know, I got the ability to travel and do business in different parts of the world and learn about different cultures and how they operated from a business standpoint, um, meet different people. Uh, to this day, literally, I have friends in, you know, Hong Kong, Singapore, UK, Switzerland um, that were friends that I made back 10, 15 years ago. And that's awesome. Um, and, and what I loved about that is the ability, what it gave me was the exposure to so many different parts of the world and, and people. And, you know, I kind of cherish that. And it was one of the best things about being in global accounts. It was one of the best jobs for that, for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I got to a stage in my career, you, you I kind of look at it like there's three phases, right? You're this, warrior that's focused on yourself and and you're a sales guy, Mm -hmm. you move into this kind of second phase where you, you become a leader and you're focused on teams. And that's where I went into what I would, you know, call my management phase of my career, Mm -hmm. which you and I, uh, worked together, uh, Mm -hmm. and spent some time doing that. Um, and that was actually one of the most satisfying, uh, jobs and times in my career when we were working together, because, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to, to see the level of success that my team was able to achieve was really very, very gratifying. And, yeah, you know, it's amazing to this day that the image that still burns in my head is we were at a, uh, awards dinner. I think it was the second year in the company. Um, and it was about probably about 20, 25, maybe 20 of us at this table at the awards dinner. And we had won numerous awards, you know, rookie of the year, SE of the year and region and, you know, deal of the year. And, and the team just kept going up individually getting awards. And I think there's a picture out there somewhere, but I remember sitting back and looking at the team and, and there was just all this crystal, all these awards on the table. <laughs> uh, in my mind, awesome. it probably, you know, the way I describe it is the table was tilting because it was so heavy, but that's probably just making it, you know, a better story. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's uh, a great, <laughs> never let but, the facts uh, get in the way of a good story, right? <laughs> Right. Exactly. <laughs> but, but that's an example of like, you get into that next phase, which is, you know, leading and managing and, yeah. you know, we can probably have a whole hour conversation or more on the difference between leadership and management. And, yeah. um, and that's kind of what, what I did is for a big chunk of my career. And to this day, I'm still in management uh, and leadership. Mm-hmm. I do a little bit of it differently. Now the, the level of what I do now is very much kind of go to market and strategy. And, um, you know, I do get in the weeds still cause I'm a sales guy at heart. Yeah. But, but I still love building. Um, and that's what I do today. I mean, you know, build teams and build regions and go to market strategies and organizations. And, 
you know, through 2020, it's, it's been an incredible experience because, you know, I'm, I'm with an amazing company that, you know, thank goodness is in a, is in a space that's growing fast and very yeah. desired. Um, and it's kind of surreal in some ways. I mean, there's a lot, there's some real pain out there with business and the economy and people. Um, and we have this company that's hiring and growing and scaling. Um, and we're doing what we can to help those people adapt. And I think yeah. that's what's really exciting about 2020 for me as well is, you know, there are businesses out there that have learned, have figured out and had to figure out how to adapt on the fly. And what yeah. we do and what I do with my teams is we, we help them do that, transform and be more efficient. Um, and I think they'll come out better going forward uh, as mm-hmm. a business. You know, clearly what's happened with, with what's going on in the world today is, is everything that we thought about business and acceleration of business is kind of, you know, all of a sudden it's tenfold. You know, yeah. what, what people were planning on doing with technology over the next three years has now been contracted into, you know, three to six months. Yeah. So uh, it's pretty, it's pretty yeah. exciting time right now. That's awesome, man. Yeah. It's awesome. Congratulations on all that and the IPO last year and obviously Thank follow you. all those, all those things. I, so what I'm, I'm, what I'm picking up here is when a global pandemic hits, you want to be selling Peloton bikes, masks, or, or cloud-based software. Yes, probably. And, uh, and <laughs> uh, anything that will kill germs, it seems. Home, home furnishings. I have a, I have a client who, I have a client who works in uh, the furniture industry. He's like a VP of marketing in the furniture industry in the Midwest. And he was telling me that business is booming in terms of orders, but they can't fill it all because of the production delays. But people are, because people are at home, they're like, oh, you know what? I should probably upgrade upgrade my couch because I'm actually sitting on it all day long now. And yeah. the uh, maybe four months ago, I finally decided to order a real desk and I had to scrounge for a desk. I, there were nowhere to be found. Uh, even online, I had to like really dig into it. So we'll oh, add furniture amazing. to the list. Yeah. Oh, it's, it I is. mean, I could tell you my own experience was um, furniture and home gym equipment. Like try to oh, find, I can imagine. try to find, you know, like barbells, dumbbells, like anything that's basic, the back orders, it's just unbelievable. And yeah, I guess everybody's like, you can't go to a gym. You might as well work out in your house. So there are certain yeah. industries that are doing real well. And to your point, they just can't keep up with the production. Yeah. Makes sense. That's great, man. Well, congratulations on all of that. Yes. I was there as they say, if you've seen Hamilton in the room, when it, where it happened for a little mm-hmm. bit of your journey, which was very exciting. That was a lot of fun for me as well. So now um, I'm going to, I'm going to see if there's anything you want to ask me that I can answer for you and ask, an answer for the audience. So you get to practice playing podcast hoster, David, and what would you like to ask me? Oh, that's great. Uh, so Jason, um, <laughs> I guess what I'm curious about is, you know, you know, having known you for a while and, and you had a pretty significant career, let's call it change transition. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, what was that like? I mean, you know, obviously a little scary in some ways, but what was uh-huh. that like just all of a sudden changing from, you know, one aspect of what you've done for so many years, whether it's technology or sales, and then going into this, which is, you know, it's a totally different kind of dynamic. It is. So scary is a very good word to use. Absolutely. Um, But like a good kind of scary, if that makes sense. So just to give just to give the audience a background for people listening that don't know, uh, I spent almost 20 years in sales, sales engineering, Worked at a couple big companies, and I worked at some startups. So David and I have a 
a, a kind of a similar path because you worked at some startups, you worked at some big companies, and then David and I actually worked at a company together. And so I would say how it's been is I think you could almost pick me up and put any person who starts their own business in my seat and they'll give it. It's not fast enough. It's not enough. And it's a ton of fun. So one of the main things that I've really had to work on and working on this with my my coach and self-coaching and um, is, and and I think you'll appreciate this, David, but you know, when you onboard a new sales rep and they're just like chomp, the chomping at the bit to go out and sell something and you want them to, and it doesn't happen that often. Like maybe if they get handed an account, but usually there's like this ramp up time. Right, right. Where like from a knowledge perspective or they just don't know the lingo, they don't know the slate, like they don't know the political landscape inside the company. So there's this ramp up time. So people like come in like first we go, hey, I want to go out and start meeting with customers and sell something. That learning yes, that curve. Has, the yeah. learning curve. And it's never fast enough because I think most salespeople are pretty, hopefully fairly fast moving people and driven people like you're talking about you. And so everybody that I know, and I, I coach entrepreneurs, I coach other coaches, like people that run their own thing. I've never met anybody who's like, you know, the first two years have gone exactly how I wanted it to go. The results have been outstanding. <laughs> it's always because it, it's just never enough because I don't care if you're selling, if you've got the best thing on the planet, you just don't have the reach. You don't have the scale. Like people don't know who you are. So you might be the best coach or the best, you might have the best, you know, startup technology on the planet, but Cloudflare can come over the top with sales and marketing and destroy you. And and there's also the element of when you start out in the space, there's always going to be people that are already doing it. So depending on what, you know, it's not so prevalent in what I do, but for entrepreneurs that are trying to get into like, for example, like cloud-based security, you, there's, and, and you know this obviously, and I'm sure you've probably beat some of these companies down in your day and you've probably gotten beat by some of these companies. Like some of, like some firms actually want to either take a stake in the company or they actually want a smaller company so they can, you know, kind of direct the pro- the roadmap. Mm-hmm. And so kind of coming back to, for me, what it's like, it's been very freeing. And also um, for me, from a personal development perspective, really figuring out what I'm made of because I have to, I have to, like, I have some help, like I have a virtual assistant and I've got, you know, like some technology, but at the end of the day, it's just on me. Right? So I don't have anybody who's like, Hey, today you need to make this many calls or today you need to go out and do this thing. So figuring out what my motivations are, what I care about, what I'm committed to, and then how do I want to make a difference for myself, for my family, and for my and for the people that I do business with now and that hire me. So it's been super, super rewarding. It's a ton of fun. And there's days where I'm like, you know, it'd be really great today if I just had a sales manager who threw some meetings on my calendar and three three prospects to go talk to and like, oh, we got a team meeting, like, and just like show up and you just know it's on your calendar. Because right, now right. it's like I actually completely control all of that. So, yeah, it's it's scary, but it's a ton of fun, and I don't. I I think it's it's a it's a really exciting thing to to try. And for me, I'm I'm going to keep going because it's it's going really well. Like the end of the year has been great for me, and I love it. I love what I do now. And yeah, there's days when it there's days when you're like, man, it'd just be so much easier to go work at Cloudflare, or go work at you know. Salesforce or whatever, whatever it is. So um, it's probably the same thing that most people that work in corporate think. They're like, man, it'd be really fun to do my own thing some days. You know, it's funny you say that because, you know, I never went out on my own because I think 
I didn't want to have to deal with all the back end, you know, the HR, the payroll, the taxes, the CPA to to deal with my, you know, accounting and tax returns. And yeah, I I just said, you know what, I just want to do what I do really well and go do the best I can. And yeah, when, when I leave that day, I don't want to have to deal with the back office. You know, I think part of it was seeing my father do it as a small business owner. There's so much that people don't think about, right? I remember him dealing with payroll and, you know, dealing with the state or the, you know, the, you know, federal government when he had to file his returns. And there was so much related to business, right? That you don't think of there's a HR related component. So no, I can understand. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. One of the things that, that entrepreneurs run into a lot is nobody's going to love their baby. Like they love their baby, which is very frustrating because when it's your own thing and like I, I run my own business by myself, so I don't have to worry about this, but people that have like a, a startup and, you know, I worked at a series, I worked at a, a series A startup that went to a series B, B startup and amazing CEO, amazing management team. And if this is the CEO as he created this in his, you know, his basement at one point and grew it to a 50 person company and then raised a series B, raised like $14 million and became a real thing. There's no way I'm ever going to be as passionate about this business as he is. So like figuring out the balance of, hey, I want, I want to hire good people and I want to compensate them and make them excited. Like what we're talking about, like showing empathy and also knowing that there's just no way that anybody else is going to care about this. Like I care about this both financially, but also usually there's a huge part of your ego um, tied up in it. Cause it's just, it's, it's literally their, their baby. So yeah. like a lot of people, I'm like, how does that, how do you actually show up for people when you know, they're not going to show up for you in the same way? Cause I'm usually not going to outside of fear of losing their job or something like that. Right. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, especially I've done some consulting and advising for some startup entrepreneurs and, and smaller companies. And, you know, I think the the tough part is, is letting go, right. Is trusting that someone else is going to give you advice or do things that are in the best interest of that business, like you say. And I think yeah. that is a challenge. And, and, you know, there are what are the founders dilemma, which is, you know, at what point does that, kind of mentality and philosophy need to shift towards maybe I need to kind of bring in folks that, you know, have done it before or understand this part of the business or this phase or cycle that we have to get through and and kind of being able to let go. There's not a lot of founders that, you know, from inception to that next few phases can really take it all the way. I mean, that's right. For every Facebook and Google, et cetera, there's thousands that have failed, right? Um, oh yeah. So I oh, think, yeah. yeah, it's a different dynamic. Yeah. Do I get to ask another question or? or you asking or permission? You can have two. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to give you permission to ask me a second question, David. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what's your show? So, um, well, on a personal level, uh, personal, I love now it. That you're a father, father, it's father. It's yeah. Father, father, father times two. two. Father times two. Yes. Um, uh, what is what has that been like, that journey? Because I knew you with no no children. And, yep. you know, that was different. That was a different Jason. What's been the yeah. big difference in your kind of frame of mind, thinking, view of the world? I know that's a big question, but I'm just curious yeah. how, how maybe it's shifted in your head a little. Yeah. No, it's an interesting question. And it, yeah, it's just such a good myopic question. Thank you for the small, the small one. We're going to solve uh, world peace by the time we're, we're going to solve world peace. This is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So world peace. Talk about fatherhood. I think for me, the and you know, I know you talked about you have I get pretty much two grown children now, so you went through this too. But I think the and I know you and I have talked about this in the past, probably over 
a few too many drinks at some point, but um, so I don't fully recall the conversation, but uh, <laughs> it was deep. It was deep. It was that deep. I would say for me, it's the idea that there's something bigger than yourself. And it's, I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with people motivated by money and such. Like what I've come to realize is, yes, I like money. I know you like money. Like I don't know anybody who doesn't like money, but instead of like, oh, I want to, I want to, I'm going to use the word hoard. I don't mean that in a bad way, but I want as much money as possible. I want to gather all this money or like, so I have it so I can feel secure. It's like, oh, I want, I want these things so that my children can have a choice where they go to college or so that they can have these experiences. So for me, one of the things that it's, it's reframed is what do I actually care about both for myself? Because, excuse me, I don't know, you know, I don't know about you and I know it's been a long time for you and feels like a long time for me too, but and even when you're single or when you're married, you kind of get to do whatever you want. And you don't, we didn't have to make a lot of choices. And now, besides the money part, David, this is hitting right now. The other thing that is very top of mind for me is how do I spend my time? What do I want to do with my time? And it's, this, is a very, this is a very timely, no pun intended, thing because we have a two-month-old. So the time stuff is like... He's really needy. So there's, he's on 24-7. The recursion and I are on 24-7. Right. So taking a look at like, what am I doing with my time? What am I doing with my money? Like, why am I, why am I, why am I strike out on my, striking out on my own? Like, why do we move to a different place for a little while? And taking a look at what's best for everybody versus what's best for me, which I think is, and, the, and I, I think this is one part of our conversation we've had is, probably a really good thing for me because left my own devices i know that i'm going to likely make it i'm going to make choices <laughs> that are gonna be, it's not even bad decisions it's just it's just not going to be like focused on anybody else right and you know i'm i'm, I'm, I'm with you like I, I think one of the things as i've gotten older and matured is like i really and one of the reasons i decided to do this is like i really have realized i love serving others and like outputting my energy because i have a ton of it for others and Relating that back to your children, like how do you output your energy for your children as opposed to I'm going to take this drive and go work on Wall Street and work, you know, 20 hours a day or I'm going to go into sales and I'm going to make I'm going to crush it and be on the road and be drinking and eating all those fun things. That's all great. And then at some point you're like, yeah, do I really want to do that anymore? Or would I rather go take my daughter to the playground and, and watch her have the biggest smile on her face ever and take her to dinner? Or would I rather get this new client and meet with them at 7 p.m.? Or would I rather go and help put my... Uh, my two month old son to bed. So for me, it's about, it's about the priorities, but it's, but it's priorities by choice. Now you hear parents say like, Oh, like, Oh, once you have kids, your life is over. That has not been my wife and I's experience. It's been the things that we've chosen to do. And yes, not all of it is a choice. There's things you have to do, but most of it is like, Oh, like this is actually really cool. This is actually a lot more fun. I'm not hung over the next day. <laughs> I've spent less money <laughs> for right. now. And I know, and I know the kids get very expensive as they get older and they're, right. they're not cheap already, but right. So like having a choice to do that, and I think it just gives you a more um, holistic point of view on life. And I don't know how you feel looking at your kids, but even now I look at them and I'm like, I'm like, this is my legacy, and this is the these are the this is the future, not of our family, but like these little these little human beings are going to go make a difference in the world in some way, shape, or form to a lot of people. What kind of difference do I want them to make? Right. And so that's yeah, I'm sorry to get spent yeah uh, with you on it but no no i, I listen I, you're, you're spot on i mean it's 
that it does shift priorities shift. I mean, that's natural. You know, my wife and I used to call it like the phase you're at it's in the trenches because you're yeah. really kind of, you, you know, it's, everything's about the kids, right? It's just the nature of what happens. And, you know, I think if you, I used to think if you ever sit back and really kind of think deep about how much responsibility you have when it comes to your spouse and your children, you'd probably lose it because you're like, yeah. Oh my God, I really got to keep it together. Um, yeah. What happens is strangely, it just, you continue to work hard and you do the right thing and you try to do the best you can as a parent and a spouse. And, and, and I believe that, you know, those things work out in many ways, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's dramatic when you look at, you know, speaking about the kids, you know, one of the things that I always thought about, especially having daughters, I mean, I, I guess I thought in society, the way it is today and just things that are going on, um, you know, I almost felt like I had this other responsibility with, you know, making sure my daughters were, you know, responsible, respectful, could be mm -hmm. independent, could support themselves that, you know, that's something that I always wanted and cared about. Um, and I guess because, you know, the world, the world isn't fair in a lot of ways. And I think women yeah. in some cases have gotten the short end of the stick and, you know, it's, it's good to feel comfortable knowing that, you know, you've given them the tools and the information where they're able to make really smart choices, uh, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, that's something that's important. My wife's, you know, very similar. Like she's, you know, very independent, you know, working strong, you know, kind of, you know, believes very similarly, you know, just, you know, a lot of independence that you need to really kind of instill in your kids. So, yeah, um, I don't think I've ever thought, you know, there's always that level of responsibility, right. As a parent, but yeah. um, you're right. It's, there's limited time and there's an old saying, which is nobody ever sat in their deathbed and said, I wish I spent more time at the office. That's right. And yeah. that's just the reality. Yeah. yeah. I think the the thing to wrap this up to is I'm thinking about what you're saying is the other thing is, um, and man, I had it and I just lost it. But the idea that um, it's that, like it doesn't, like the small things don't matter to me nearly as much anymore. Like I actually don't get worked up about things that I used to get worked up about. And I think partly that's getting older and I, most people that get older generally, I think get a little less high strong or don't care about it. But also the idea that as a parent, you're never going to be perfect. It's just not, there's just no way to do it because there's nobody can tell you how to do it. So you're never going to be perfect and accepting that that's, that that's actually okay. And that you can't control even for our daughter, who's almost five, like she's a little human being who has a lot of opinions and wants to do a lot of stuff. And I can't really control a lot of her stuff, nor do I want to. So being able to release the reins and like trust that, Hey, like we've done these things. We set up these structures for her. And now she gets to within the bounds, of course, like she gets to do these things and not try to control everything. Right. And I think this is actually something that, you know, relating it back to where we're talking about earlier with sales is I think this is actually something that I know I've been guilty of in the past. And what's the balance in sales of the control and trust? Because too much control equals a, a customer who doesn't want to do business with you because it feels like you're smothering them versus like a true partnership with it. So again, relating it back to business. Cause that's what people are here for, David, to talk about SaaS software sales. Oh, that's, that's right. That's the passion that people are Let's here get back for. To the Let's get back to the important stuff. <laughs> um, no, I, listen, you're absolutely right. It's uh, the, you know, there's old sayings like trust and verify. I mean, I, I, my management yeah. style in many ways is, you know, I prefer to give people the benefit of the doubt and, and, you know, uh, you know, I, I like to hire people that are self-motivated and high energy and they're proactive and they come 
to meetings with ideas. I mean, my sense, you know, when you hire a diverse group of people is they come from different backgrounds and experiences and you want to hear what they have to say and how it can contribute to making, you know, the sum of the parts better in the, in the whole yeah. in general. So, yeah. so you're right. Uh, but I, but I think it's, you know, there is, you have a level of responsibility for the people that you manage as well and lead. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also, if you're good at doing that, leading and managing, you're good at also helping them get the most out of their potential, living up yeah. to their expectation and their, and that's really important is, yeah, you know, trying to help them realize their fullest potential is a, is a very satisfying thing as a manager and a leader. Yeah, that's cool. Well, that's a great question. I appreciate you asking me the second one. I, and I appreciate you asking me my permission because I would have <laughs> didn't have to have some permission, but. Well, I do want to talk to you again when they're teenagers, because that would be just exactly. Crazy. We'll do it when this podcast <laughs> is running in ten years, and exactly. I'm like old and gray haired, and you're old, and like we're like, yeah. And I'm like, hey, remember when I said parenting was cool? You'd be like, ha, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, oh god. All right, uh, I got a couple more questions for you if you have a little more time for me and the yeah, audience. Absolutely. All right, so uh, I, I I think I know the answer to this, but David, what's the thing that you're most proud of? Well, I mean, it, it would be my family. Clearly, it's it's mm-hmm. been one of the joys to be able to kind of be married 27 years um, and have an amazing partner. Um, we're best friends. We're confidants. We we have we laugh a hell of a lot, and that's probably the key to it, I think. Um, but she probably laughs at me more than we laugh. But um, I was just about to ask you that. <laughs> yeah, and you met my <laughs> my lovely wife, so you know. Yeah, yeah, um, I see that. You know, and my kids, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing. I mean, having gone through the journey, the trenches, all the craziness of, of them, you know, I'm incredibly proud of the, of the people they became, which is, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're smart, they're, they're, you know, worldly, they understand, you know, kind of certain values and morals that my wife and I tried to instill in them. And, you know, it's kind of looking forward to what they're going to do next. Um, mm-hmm. So the journey has been incredible. I mean, I think, that's probably what I'm most proud about, um, mm-hmm. being able to kind of, with all the craziness, you know, in my life, in the world, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing to kind of be, look back now and say, you know, look where we've come from and where we are today. And, yeah. um, that's probably the proudest, uh, bit of information. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I mean, everybody who comes on here is a parent. That's, that's pretty much the answer. And if it's not, I'll be like, really, are you really being honest with me right now? But. <laughs> Like we, may need, we, may need, we, we may need to pause the podcast to do a coaching session to see what you're actually, what's actually important to you in your life. <laughs> exactly. Remember that salesman of the year award, 1999. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. My biggest commission check in 86. That was it. Exactly. Yes. I went out and I bought a watch, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. What, um, so not to get too much in your family, but do you still get a chance to see your daughters quite a bit? Oh yeah, absolutely. My my youngest one goes to school uh, not far, about forty minutes away. Oh, that's uh, great. For COVID, she came uh, during Thanksgiving and she hasn't left, so it's been there. You uh, go. So you're like, yes, a ma- you're like, as a matter of fact, she's in the room with me right now. So I see her a lot. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's been kind of cool too. Uh, that's great. You know, it's kind of funny for kids who wanted to kind of get away from their parents, like they all do. Mine kind of stayed close to home. We were living in the city. My oldest went to college in in Manhattan. So yeah. We saw her a lot, and my oldest still lives in uh, in New York. Nice. Uh, she's in Brooklyn, actually. So uh, nice. So yeah, we get to see them. But you know what it is too is when they get older, they have their own life. You want to give them that freedom to go do and explore. And 
you know, you're there for them, of course, and I'd love to see them more, but I also know that they got their own life that they're, they're building and, yeah. you know, it's fun when we get together, but you know, we're always, awesome. we're always in touch for sure. Yeah. And I'm on the opposite end of that. I see my kids a lot, especially, <laughs> especially this summer when, you know, uh, my four-year-old's school, when she was going to school three days a week in the city, um, nine to noon, and then suddenly you're like, oh, here's the new situation. Nine to noon, Monday through Friday, on Zoom meeting at home. Can you imagine 15 hours of Zoom for a four-year-old? I, I can't. I can't imagine. I, I do work. feel. I feel for folks like you know having to deal with the homeschooling and and the dynamics, yeah. especially if you're a working parent. This is yeah. this is tough. I mean, it's tough enough for kids to have you know at that age to have uh, attention for more than sixty minutes or thirty. Yeah. Oh man. So it's you know it's interesting you mentioned that because I I do wonder there'll probably be some studies around the impact, even socioeconomic impact on what's happening with mm-hmm. you know the gap between the haves and have nots and whatever we want to call it. Um, you know, there are kids that don't have access to Wi-Fi or computers. There's, there's going to be an interesting dynamic to take a look at what, what effect this has long-term yeah. on learning and, and, and society. So uh, it's, 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 uh, we're living through it right now. It's going to be, you know, you're talking about almost two years from beginning to end by the time we get out of this. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. Uh, all right. Another question for you. I call this my vulnerability question. Hopefully you're up for it. I think you are. Oh, oh. And if I and if I feel you're not being vulnerable enough, I'll call you out. How about that? <laughs> Do I have to cry? Is, like you said, uh, yeah, you got to have one, at least one tiny tear. <laughs> uh, so David, what's something that you're afraid might actually be true about you? Hmm. Um, you know, that I think I'm too demanding of excellence of others. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think... Um, you know, when you're trying to motivate people, um, and it could be anything, it could be your family, it could be your kids, it could be your, you know, employees, friends, you know, in trying to do that and trying to help, you know, maybe sometimes I'm not as, you know, I'm afraid I may not be as um, empathetic or understanding um, because you get caught up in trying to help someone and, Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mentioned the, the whole idea of trying to help people realize their their potential. Yeah. You know, maybe that's not what they're really focused on. So sometimes you get yeah. caught up in it. So I guess I'd be afraid of, you know, not really being as connected to that where you're in the moment of trying to kind of focus on on doing that. And yeah. that, that's tough. Yeah. That really resonates for me because, you know, I went through a really extensive coach training program and helping lead that program now. And this is a funny thing. And this probably won't surprise you. You get all types of people who want to be coaches. Some people want to do life coaching. Some people want to do more like performance coaching, growth coaching, executive coaching. There's a million ways you can coach. And one of the things you find the worst coaches when you start out are salespeople and consultants. Because we, speaking just for myself now, but I'm also observing other people that are consultants and salespeople now, mentoring them, is we're so trained to be per- constantly providing value and convincing and um, conveying ideas and giving and giving advice and giving ideas. And in pure coaching, and I'm talking about like pure coaching now, you actually don't want to do that. And what you want to do is you want to have your client generate for themselves the thing that's important. So what I'm hearing for you is um, like, 
you have an agenda for, let's just say you have an employee, you have an agenda for that employee for multiple reasons. You care about them first, hopefully, but also they, they need to perform. And if they're, you know, that they need to do all those things in pure coaching. And I had a terrible time with this for at least a year. And I probably still do in some ways, but actually sitting back and letting the person generate, like asking them a couple questions and sitting back and figuring out what, what do they actually care about? And, and if they can come to the thing of like, oh, I'm really motivated by you giving me affirmation. Oh my, like I'm really motivated. I want the money, but I'm motivated because I really want to give my kids the freedom to make the choice for college and letting them come to that themselves. It's going to be a much more powerful place for them to anchor than trying to drive somebody towards that outside of like, of course, there's teaching and expertise and advice, but the actual coaching part of it. So like that totally resonates for me too, where you, you, it's almost like you care so much that you end up putting your own agenda on somebody else. And I think maybe for you as a, as a manager and a leader, <coughs> excuse me, like, of course you can have an agenda, but maybe even outside of that with like, I'm looking at for myself with parenting, like parents, we always have an agenda for our kids. Right. And what I'm hearing you say is, sounds like you and your wife learned to perhaps uh, take your foot off the brake a little bit as they've gotten older. And that's actually benefited, benefited them way more than you trying to, you know, I don't know, like the term tiger mom or helicopter parent, all those types of things. Yeah, so. there's always that balance, depending on how you were raised and what you want to do with your kids, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you want to be there for them, right? But you know that people, whether you like it or not, people learn from their own mistakes, right? There's, yeah. It's the only way in life you're Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I would listen. I would love to have learned from others' mistakes, but I think that's yes. just not the natural yeah. course of things. But, nope. you know, I think to your point, it's um, – it's tough because you really have to get into the mind of the individual. It's very personal to understand what motivates them. And, you know, it's even, you know, great, co great players don't always make great coaches because they, right. they don't really understand why isn't something that comes natural to me um, something that they can just learn and do. It's the same thing like in sales. You know, I, I thought I was really good at being a salesperson. I think I had a successful career and I'll have conversations where something that was natural to me doesn't come natural to others. But, yeah. you know, it's the, it's the old saying, which is, you know, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. And yeah. that really is true. It's, you know, not, a, there, there are, you know, it, sometimes it just takes time. Sometimes it's a situation and, and mentoring and coaching as a, sales leader, you know, I remember coachable moments, you know, riding in yeah. the car after the appointment or, you know, kind of sitting there and listening and watching interactions with customers or partners. Um, the most valuable part of those interactions with people that work for you and with you are, you know, those quiet moments after when you can mm -hmm. talk about it, you can kind of bounce ideas and, and, you know, those, those are things I kind of miss with COVID now that, you know, I, yeah. you know, I don't have that car ride after the appointment with the, with the sales rep as an example. And yeah, you know, that human interaction is really important. Yeah. Those rides can be fun or depending on how the meeting went, they can be really not fun depending on what <laughs> yes. role you played in the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If they really screwed it up, that's usually not a good meeting. <laughs> yeah. Or, or you're, or you happen to have like, uh, um, and I guess this would be the role that you're in now. So maybe you're this, maybe you're this guy in this scenario, but, and I don't, I don't think you would do this, but the, the person who comes in and like, you have a great relationship with a client and then like the head, you know, CRO, whatever SVP of sales comes in or whatever it is and like actually Fs it up and then you have to clean it up after them. Those meetings aren't always that fun either. <laughs> I think you and I have no, both been in some Well, there's like always that. in... Yeah, in the annals of sales, there's always a boss where people say, I don't want to bring that guy in. 
Um, totally. And I've always, I've always said that when I become that guy, I'm going to retire. Have you ever, have you ever I, asked I anybody if you're that guy? <laughs> I, maybe I should do a 360, but uh, no, I, I don't believe I am. Um, you know, I'm usually pretty good about telling. Oh, I have an idea, David. I, I, I have the perfect way to find out. So for anybody who's listening to this podcast who oh, works for perfect. David, <laughs> you can email me at podcast. <laughs> Jason you can great. even make it anonymous and just say like, David is that guy. And then I will forward that to you anonymously and say, bro, I think there's something I need to, there's something I need to tell you about. <laughs> well, we, we, we all need coaching. And, and I, I will tell you that um, I always feel as an individual, whatever it is, you should always feel like you can grow and learn. I, I don't yeah. know it all. I'm sure I made plenty of mistakes and probably still do. So I'm, I'm willing to listen and learn. The thing, and so the thing you're taking away from this entire episode is, David, you might actually be that guy. <laughs> Anything's possible. Anything's possible. That's awesome. All right, we're going to start to wrap up because we're getting near the top of the hour. I uh, want to ask you, we've talked about a lot of stuff today. So I want to go back and give you a couple minutes to... If, the, if anything else has come up for you, either from what you shared with, with me and with the audience, if there's anything that I shared, just a couple more minutes to, to see if there's anything else that you want to share, share out to the audience at this point. I think it's, you know, I think the theme here, a lot of it is about, you know, kind of just making sure that, you know, life is about continuous improvement, you know, personally and professionally. It's, you know, I kind of operate with this philosophy that, you know, you have a you know, every day is a new day to try to do something better, to try to change some things. You know, I, I said before, um, you know, I'd like to believe that I continue to learn and grow and, and be an individual that, you know, doesn't know everything, tries to consume as much information and listen to people and talk to people and learn new things. And, you know, I think when you stop, my wife says this a lot and she's really kind of, you know, we call her the sage sometimes at home because mm -hmm. she's really very wise. And, uh, you know, she says, listen, it's when you stop, uh, being that person, you know, that doesn't believe that you can change and learn that, that, that's when you have a problem. That's when, yeah, you know, it's a serious issue. And, um, you know, she's, she's definitely probably motivates me as an individual to, to the nature of the way she is, you know, the ability to kind of overcome personal situations or whatever it is, even business or whatever, you know, she can wake up the next day and, and just kind of, move on and, and try to have a positive attitude. So I think that's, you know, that's kind of a critical piece of it. It's, you know, yeah. how do you, how do you do that? Now it's not easy. You know, it's, mm -hmm. I think it's work. You know, the other thing to recognize is that these are, these are things that are a journey. Like I said, it's not a destination. I think yeah. it took me a while in life to realize that it wasn't a destination. It was about the journey. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I'm, I'm not the same person I was when you and I first met and you're not. Yeah. And I think the joy is in, in learning and seeing and talking about what did make you the person you are right now and, you know, how things yeah. changed, you know, as long as yeah. you're evolving in that way, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. So the, uh, the other lesson besides David might be that guy is, and I can attest to this as too, is for all y'all listening, marry well, that is a, that is a, that is a pro tip, marry better than yourself, which I think both David, both, I don't. I know I did. I can't speak for you how you feel about it, but it sounds like maybe you believe the same thing for yourself. No, absolutely. It's it's um, it really is about you know the better half. You know the old joke is the better half, but yeah, you do need someone who can lift you up when you're down. You need someone who can give you perspective, um, and really you know be a positive force in your life. And 
you know, that's a lot of responsibility too, for those out there that, you know, have spouses that do that for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that's a lot of responsibility. Um, but you know, you got to also be lucky and blessed that you find a life partner that can be like that. And, you know, I hope in many ways I, I I'm like that in certain ways for my spouse and, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's all you can hope for. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. David, last thing today, love if you would leave us, myself, the audience with some patented David Roth words of wisdom and make sure it fits on a little old post-it note. What do you got for us? Wow. That's a, that's a lot of pressure more than the, the conversation, right? Um, there you go. I, I can only say one phrase or can I say two? I mean, what's, you can what's do the two. You can, I'll, give, I'll give you two. Okay. I'll give you one that's kind of more words of wisdom, which is you're never yeah. too old to learn and grow. Love that. Um, and then the second one, which was some sage advice from from a great mentor and friend of mine, uh, John Parry, who unfortunately recently passed away last year. Um, but he was he was a boss of mine and phenomenal individual and human being. And he said, uh, "You don't have to show up to every fight you're invited to." That's so good. That is a. Um, I love that one, and I'm like thinking about like my life, my career, my love life my my marriage now like that that's some good advice that i should probably pay more attention to <laughs> well put it on a sticky note and put yeah. it on the fridge Boom. and <laughs> and then you'll know but no, i love that because it's so simple but it's so right and and there's always an opportunity in every day it seems yeah. where there's something that will create that tension and and you don't always have to show up to every fight you're invited to yeah that's awesome, David. Well, again, I want to congratulate you, the Cloudflare team on IPO last year, all the good stuff you're up to. It's really fun to reconnect with you here, what you're up to personally, professionally. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. Maybe in 10 years, we'll come back and you and you can interview me on what it's like to have a teenage daughter. I'm very excited. We can we can maybe you'll have some grandkids by then and I'll be like, this my life sucks. Well, well, well I'm not that old, but I, but I definitely I will come revisit that and, and I would love to continue that. But Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you today. And, you know, as I said, congratulations on the new baby and thank you uh, all the best uh, to you and the family. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a journey, man. So it uh, is, it's great knowing you and being part of your journey too. Yeah. Thanks so much, David. Thanks for being on. No problem. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of talking to cool people with Jason Frizzell. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell your friends, follow us on Instagram and Facebook and give us a shout out or take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. If something from today's episode piqued your interest and you'd like to connect, email us at podcast at jasonfrizzell.com. We love hearing from our listeners because you're cool people too. 